much. How good to be in Charlotte Chapel. I've heard about it for ages, but I was never allowed in. And finally, uh, <laughs> since the minister has gone to the USA, he said, okay, bring a Yankee over to take my place. I'm not really a Yankee. I'm an Argentinian, but I'm a little frightened to mention it in the United Kingdom, you know, where about 20 years ago, one of our drunken generals started a war with the UK, and uh, it was over a thing called the Falkland Islands. Most Britishers thought it was off the coast of Scotland. They had no idea whether they, why are we fighting over these islands of the Scot. Why would the Argentines think that an island off Scotland would belong to them? And they didn't realize that it's down in the South Pacific. But the British are so nice, they've forgiven me. Of course, the Scots have nothing to do with England, so it's all right. But uh, I, uh, I see many Asians here. That makes me feel a little more comfortable. Thank you for coming to support me. And uh, it's good to know that there's so many students here. I've known quite a few members of this church, particularly Ian and his wife and, his, and their boy, but others also. So it's good this morning to be with you. And uh, we read a very important passage. If you'd like to go back to Second Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, as you British say, I'm never quite sure why. It's the second epistle to Corinthians. That's why Ian properly said Second Corinthians. But let's not argue about that. I want to talk this morning, I was reading an article from Wales, of all things. Uh, it was mailed to me in Argentina, and it was a youth section of the magazine. And it started out by saying, conversion to Christ is a staggering event. And I'd never thought of that particular word, and I thought only a Britisher would come up with it. It's a perfect choice. Conversion to Christ is a staggering event. And I began to think about that, and I immediately went to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because of verse 17, but then there's other verses there too. So, look at verse uh, 14, first of all, and see what's so staggering, because I said to myself, what could possibly be so staggering about conversion to Christ? I was brought up in the church just like the boys and girls who left us a few minutes ago, and I was always sat in the front row so that I would really listen to preachers. And I listened. And there was a verse in Argentina that preachers used all the time. Verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. In the old King James, although it was in Spanish. Uh, and all uh, uh, things are passed away and everything becomes new. And in those days, the preachers used to turn on a quivering voice when they preach, you young ones wouldn't know it and you're lucky. But uh, it was sort of interesting. There was no TV, so it was sort of a bit of entertainment, I think. But they would go quivery when they preached. And especially when there was a key verse. They would go, if anyone, he's in Christ. And, and it made you listen, though it was a little theatrical. And, uh, and uh, he's a new creature. All things are passed away and all things become new. And... And I would listen as a boy, but nobody ever explained what was the old and what was the new. And uh, you'd see people who were converted, and they got baptized, and you looked at them, and their face looked pretty much the same, and uh, uh, the, the, the way they dressed, the way they... And I often would think, what's different? What's the old that's gone, and what's the new that's come? Well, in this passage, you have three major staggering things. First, in verse 14, is what I call God's rescue operation. The theologians call it... Something a little different, but it's the same thing. It says, Christ loves compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live 
should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That is a rescue operation that took place on the cross when Jesus Christ died for us. And then on the third day he rose from the dead and that completed that aspect of the rescue operation. So the first R in this passage is, uh, the, the old theologians called it redemption, but I like to call it rescue because it's a little more understandable in our day. God rescued us from ourselves, you notice it says, so that we would live no longer for ourselves. That was the rescue operation. The main enemy we have is really ourselves. Satan is an enemy, the world is an enemy, and so on. But the worst enemy we have is ourselves. And it says here that Christ's love compels us because he died for all that we should live no longer for ourselves but for him. Living for ourselves is selfish living and it leads to all sorts of sadness and problems that you see all around and even inside ourselves. The second R is in verse 17, which I call recreation. Old timers called it regeneration. Same thing with a little different twist. Recreation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Something staggering. That when you open your heart to Christ, you are recreated. Ian did it so well a few minutes ago when he did this hand thing. I'm going to copy it now. I like it. Uh huh. And when they sinned, then their distance came. And then, uh, and then Christ came and brought us together. We are recreated. And it's a staggering thing. We'll come back to it in a second. And then the third thing is in verse, uh, in verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's staggering too. Imagine. First, we were rescued. Rescued from ourselves and our selfishness and our pride and our foolishness. Rescued by the crucifixion. Second, we were recreated the moment the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. And then thirdly, we were reconciled to God. We come back together to use Ian's illustration. We were enemies of God, the Bible says. Actually, enemies in our mind. Even though we didn't insult him or curse him, many of us. But we were enemies without even realizing it. Because we did not have contact with God. And then we were reconciled with God by the death of his son. It's a staggering thing. But you know, I got to thinking, for some of us who were converted to Christ when we were boys and girls, it, it didn't look so staggering at the moment. Uh, I have a friend of mine now in the USA who was a movie star. His name is Stephen Baldwin. And he was a well-known bad boy in the USA. Uh, drug addiction, nightclubs, appearing on television, looking haggard and destroyed, too much drinking, playing around, doing stuff you're not supposed to do, especially when you're married, but at any time. And uh, that was him. And he was well known as a, a Hollywood bad boy, they called him. And then something happened. Uh, they, he, his wife is Brazilian, and they brought a Brazilian maid to work in their house. And this Brazilian, as all Brazilians, was loud and excitable, especially when they win a football match. But also anytime. Brazilians are always happy and loud, uh, louder than Italians even. And uh, so this, uh, this maid and nanny came to their house. And all day she was singing out loud in Portuguese, and uh, Stephen doesn't speak anything but English, 
and, and American at that. And uh, so uh, he, he finally got tired of this woman and he said to his wife, who spo- speaks Portuguese, what's she singing about? And she, the wife, who was not a believer, said, well, she keeps mentioning Jesus in her songs. And he said to her, well, tell her to tone it down. I've had it with all this loud singing. And when she called her in, Mrs. Baldwin, and said, you know, uh, what was her name again? Do you remember her name? Ah, what a pity. I hate to forget names. And it's not old age. I've always forgotten names. And, uh, but, uh, oh, it's almost on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, he called her and said, you know, my husband says you've got to stop singing so loudly, especially mentioning Jesus all the time. And being a Brazilian, tall and skinny, she said, ha, ha, ha. She said, you think I came in this house to take care of your house and your children? The wife said, well, yes, I sure do, and that's what I pay you to do. She said, well, I'm doing my job, aren't I? And she said, yes, you are, but you've got to sing a little lower. She said, look, when I left Brazil, I went to my church, and I told them I was invited to come and work for somebody in America, and they gave me their blessing. And then somebody stood up and said, this woman when she goes to America, is going to lead an important person to Jesus Christ. And that person is going to start their own ministry and speak for Jesus Christ all over the world. And that's why I'm here. So the wife went and told Stephen. And Stephen went into a panic, you know. He said, I don't mind turning to Jesus Christ, but having a ministry, no. I'm an actor. I don't want to be anything but an actor. Well, his wife received Christ thanks to this woman. Oh, her name is on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, uh, And she began to pray. And she prayed an hour a day. And when Stephen would wake up, he told the story that he would find his wife on her knees, sometimes flat on her face, praying for another, an hour. And at first he began to think, wow, I've got a Christian wife, what an amazing thing. Then he began to get annoyed because an hour every day, you had to keep quiet because she was on her face. She read the Bible another hour. And then finally, 9-11 came. You remember the towers and all that. And when he saw the towers, he said, oh, my soul, if this can happen, Jesus Christ could come back again, and I'm not ready. So he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Now, the change in his life is so evident. No more nightclubs, no more ladies of the night, no more drinking, no more drugs. It's very visible. It's staggering, and it's visible. But some of us, like me, I came to Christ when I was 12 years old. I was too little to have a mother-in-law to beat up on, you know. I mean, I was just a boy. I hadn't committed any of the big ones, you know. But it was equally staggering. For some of us, when we were converted, you visibly see what Jesus Christ saved us from. Others, the Lord saved us from what we would have become if he hadn't come into our lives. And so, when I read this article, and and it said, you know, Uh, conversion to Christ is a staggering event. I began to make a little note. I have a piece of paper here. I just grabbed a little piece of paper and I began to write what was so staggering. And I want to see if you agree with me. And maybe you could help me at least in the first three or four points. Once I was lost, now I am. You can say it out loud. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, Even though it's a Scottish Baptist church. Yeah. All right. Once I was lost, now I am. Once I was blind, now I can. Once I was dead, now I am. Once I was a slave, now I am. Is that staggering right there? If you take time to think about it. First, I was lost. Now I am found. Now, when somebody calls another person and says you're lost, it doesn't mean you're the worst person in town. You may be, but not necessarily. Being lost doesn't mean you're as wicked as you could ever be. 
There used to be a song when I first went to the USA that you probably never heard of here, but it was called Big Bad Leroy Brown, meanest man in the whole downtown. You know, and you don't have to be Big Bad Leroy Brown to be lost. You can be a very nice person. <clears throat> Old age. Uh, you can be a very nice person and be lost. One day, one of my daughters-in-law, who's a very nice person, married to my third son, Andrew, who's in town this week. And they were going to a town, a town called Stillwater, Oklahoma. And you land in Tulsa, and then you take Highway 80 from the airport to Stillwater. <clears throat> and another woman picked her up to take her to Stillwater, <clears throat> where we were having uh, a Christian festival. And uh, they were chatting away, and the other girl who was driving the car was not from Oklahoma either. So they get in the car, they see Highway 80, and off they go. After about an hour, they realize, hey, where's Stillwater? We've been driving for an hour, and they said it was 30 minutes. They looked at the highway, and it said Highway 80. Finally, they stopped at some restaurant or something and said, are we on Highway 80? Yes, you are. Where's Stillwater? And they said, oh, Stillwater is an hour and a half the other way. Uh -huh. So they were on the right highway going in the wrong direction. They weren't wicked. They were just lost. And you know, all of us are lost until we meet Jesus Christ. And then we are found. And then blind. We are blind to the things of God. And we come alive. And then let me give you some more of my list. Once I was empty, now I'm the temple of God. Once I was in darkness, now I'm in the light. Once I was in the kingdom of Satan, now I'm in the kingdom of God. Once I was guilty, now I'm forgiven. Now, is that staggering or not? You tell me. It's staggering, but there's more. Listen to this. Whether you like to or not, I'm going to read it. It says, once I was in the slimy pit, now I'm standing on the rock. Once I was condemned, now I'm exonerated. Once I was a loser, now I'm a winner in the game of life. Once I was hopeless, now I'm filled with expectation. And all this is true. When you give your life to Christ, these things begin to happen in your life. At first, you don't notice it. It seems rather simple, and it seems, you know, invisible. But as the years go by, it has an impact on your life. And then there's another set that I've got. Once I was on my way to hell, now I'm on my way to heaven. Once I was under the curse, now I've been rescued from the curse. Once I was on my own, now God answers my prayers. That is staggering, and it's true. And it happens the moment, it all begins the moment you open your heart to Jesus Christ. Some of us who've been followers of Jesus since we were boys and girls, it all seems so second nature that sometimes we forget how staggering it truly is. And there's even more. Once I was a beggar, now I'm a child of the King. Once I was a loner, now I've been baptized into the church of Jesus Christ. Once I was an enemy, now I'm a friend of Jesus Christ. Once I was a selfish wretch, now I have a purpose outside of myself. You know, it's so exciting to think about it and to be reminded what we would have been, some of us, if Jesus Christ hadn't come into our lives. And then some of us were pretty wild in our living, and the day Jesus Christ came, things were visibly changed, even visible on the outside. But you know, there are three basic major things that I want to point out this morning. First of all, the past. In the past, all our sins are forgiven because we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. 
And you know, we must never get over that. The amazing thing that happened on that cross. And then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That God Almighty who is holy would say to us, I love you. I want you. Come back to me. I want to be your father. Yeah, I want you to be my child. I want to fill you with my Holy Spirit. The first thing then is the forgiveness of our sins. And you know, when you open your heart to Christ, the Bible says, your sins and evil deeds I will remember no more. No more. No more. What a tremendous, dramatic thing that is. When you feel the guilt of your sin, and you feel unworthy before God, and then suddenly you understand a little bit of the cross, that God says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Your sins and evil deeds I'll remember no more. The blood of Jesus Christ purifies from all sin. What a staggering moment that is. But it seems simple sometimes. You invite a person to give their life to Christ. They pray a prayer. They surrender to Christ. They say, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life. And it seems so simple, so undramatic. But wait a few months and wait a few years and the drama begins to unfold. And the person is changing and growing and developing. It is a great moment when a man or a woman opens their life to Jesus Christ. And you know, the scripture teaches us that, uh, that in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to those who belong to Jesus Christ. All of you know your Bibles here. And you remember Saul of Tarsus. A brilliant man, a highly educated man, from an upper class family, one of the rulers in Israel. And yet inside him, there was violence, there was hatred, there was envy, and he became a murderer. Because he led the gang that killed the first Christian martyr. And he was on a trip over to Damascus. It says, to put both men and women, force them to blaspheme, and throw them in jail. This highly educated, upper class person with a high position in the government, and yet had an evil heart. And he probably couldn't figure out how, why he was so uncontrolled. And then he meets Jesus Christ. You remember the story? He's going on his donkey over to Damascus, surrounded by bodyguards and assistants, and suddenly a light from heaven. And he falls to the ground, blinded. And a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What shall I do, Lord? Get up, and you'll be led by the hand, and you'll be told what to do. And he gets up, and he goes to Damascus, and he sits there for three days. And then God sends one of his servants, that's only mentioned once in the Bible, and that's it. And he comes to him, unknown person, and he says, Saul, my brother, Jesus, whom you met on the way, has sent me. To lay my hands on you so that you can receive your sight, so that you can be baptized and you can proclaim his name. And he laid hands on him, prayed for him, received his sight, baptized him, and he was totally changed at that moment. It was the beginning of change. But he was a highly educated man from an upper class family, high position in government, and yet with a heart that needed changing. And you know, all of us are that way. At whatever age we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Saul had fallen, but he was changed altogether. And you know the scripture says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? 
Jeremiah chapter 19, I think it is. The heart is the, the heart needs a change. And the change begins <clears throat> when we open our heart to Jesus Christ. I'm sure that most of you here today have already had that experience. But if you haven't, this would be a great day to say, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life. Change my heart. I want to be new. I want to experience this absolutely staggering thing called conversion to Jesus Christ. But you know, that settles the past. Something else happens when you give your life to Christ. The present also begins to change. And what happens is that you receive the Holy Spirit. And when you open your heart to Christ, at first you hardly notice it. Now, in some countries, in some cultures, things happen that are very emotional and excitable. In Latin America, where people tend to be more excitable, not just the Brazilians, the Argentines, the Colombians, the Central Americans, <clears throat> often when a person receives Christ, they also get very excited and they shout and clap and say, I'm a converted, and sometimes they do all sorts of things. And in, here in Scotland, I don't think anybody raises their voice, but one little decibel, you know, so as to not to be too visible. But that's cultural, you know. But what happens inside is absolutely astonishing. As Ian pointed out, there was a gap. And then suddenly the gap is closed. When? The moment He comes into our life and the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. And you know, one of the most staggering things in the Bible is not only the crucifixion and resurrection, which is the foundation of our relationship with God. The cross and resurrection, dear friends, is the foundation of our redemption. The staggering. But the second is, to me, is the coming of God by His Spirit to live in us. Now, you know, it wasn't that I was about 25 that I actually understood it. I was 12 years old when a missionary sat me down, down in Argentina, and led me to receive Jesus Christ, to confess Him with my lips, to open my heart, and Christ came in. Since then, I know I have eternal life. That was 61 years ago, and I tell you, it gets better every year. But it was only when I was 25 or 26 that I suddenly realized, you know, I know there's got to be more to the Christian life. What is it? And then an Englishman came. Ian Thomas was his name. And I was about 26. And he explained that when you open your heart to Christ, it isn't just that you're forgiven, which is glorious, and you become a child of God, which is amazing, but also that Christ literally comes to live within you. And, you know, I used to talk to children. I even used to preach in street corners and tell people, open your hearts and Christ will come in. But I, I thought that it was sort of figurative language, you know, that is a, a nice picture of explaining what it is. And it wasn't until Ian Thomas came and spoke in the States when I was visiting that I realized it literally was true. You become the temple of God. One of my favorite verses now is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, don't you know that your body becomes the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Don't you know that you are the temple of God? God's temple is sacred. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Because God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Now, you know, we tend to think of buildings as the temple of God. So you go to India and it's a temple to some god, Shiva or the elephant god, or the monkey god, or one of the gods. 
you come to the U.S. or to uh, Europe and you go to Notre Dame in Paris and you say, oh, that's a temple. But in the Bible it says God doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands. He lives in the heart of men and women. And we become the temple of God. Now imagine when that dawns on you. Is that going to be staggering or what? Suddenly you may be a foreigner like you from Asia. Or you may be an Argentinian like me, walking in fear in the streets of Edinburgh. Uh, but uh, I can say, nobody knows me in this Scottish town, but I am a temple of the living God. And you know, that's an amazing fact. And it's true. <clears throat> and when you catch that, you want to be holy. Not because somebody says, be holy or God's going to get you. But because you love the Lord. And you say, the Holy Spirit lives in me. And in chapter 5 earlier, it says, we make it our aim to please Him. Because He indwells us. He's come to live within us. And we are a sacred temple of God. What an astonishing fact. And the fact that we resist temptation. And we don't want to sin against God. And we don't want to commit sins that dishonor Him. is because we become aware. I am the temple of the living God. He indwells me. There's nothing more staggering or glorious than that. And uh, if today you've never had that experience, I beg you to take time and think about it and meditate on those passages. You are the temple of the living God. From the day you open your heart to Jesus Christ, it's an amazing truth and it revolutionizes you in a tremendous way. And then thirdly, the future. The past, reconciled to God, forgiven Become a child of God. The present, a temple of the living God. At home, at work, at the university, on the street. I am a temple of the living God. That sanctifies you. That gives you power. That makes you realize I'm not just a nobody. I am a child of the living God. And wherever I go, the power of God goes with me. It's a glorious truth, isn't it? It is. I know you don't answer back, but it's, it's true whether you say so or not. And it's very, very exciting, you know. And then the third thing, we just prayed for a lady. What was her name, Joyce? Joyce, yes, I don't know her. But we just prayed that apparently she's ready to be called to heaven. You know, we believers who've been brought up in the church, thank God for being brought up in the church. But we take it for granted, you know. The Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. It just so happens it's in this same chapter. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. This Sister Joyce, whoever she is, apparently is at the end of the road, and she may go home today. We put it that way. People say, they passed. I, it's a new thing, this past thing. It's okay, there's nothing wrong with saying she passed. But to us, she went to be with the Lord. She went home to the presence of the Lord. And you know, it is an amazing thing that heaven awaits us. Uh, we know as believers, the day we close our eyes on earth, we go straight to the presence of the Lord. Now, the body stays behind, of course, for the day of resurrection, when Jesus Christ will come back, and all those who've died in Christ will rise first. The Lord will come in the clouds of the air with all those millions and millions and millions who have died trusting Him, all the boys and girls, all those people who have died covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. They'll come back with Him. But the bodies will rise on the, on the resurrection day. And the Bible says, we shall meet the Lord in the air. And we shall always be with the Lord. Man, what a victor, victorious day that is. There was an old Scottish preacher. 
I didn't meet him because he lived in the 1850s. And you might think I did, but no, I missed him by a few years. But uh, they tell that this fellow would get up every morning in his cottage in one of the towns of Scotland. And he would open the window first thing in the morning and look up to heaven. The first thing he ever said was, Lord, perhaps today, perhaps today. And the Christian isn't looking forward to dying. Dying is an enemy. Uh, the Bible says the last enemy that shall be conquered is death. And the Apostle Paul in this same chapter actually says, I would rather be transferred, you know, and not die. Who wants to die? Death is not a pleasant experience. But in fact, what we are waiting for is not death, but the return of Jesus Christ. And you know, it's so thrilling to be waiting for that day. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it clearly says how the Lord will come with the trumpet of God and the sound of the archangel and the dead in Christ will rise first. It's a glorious, triumphant future. To me, it became real when I was a boy. Uh, at, at, at age 10, my father went to be with Jesus Christ. And he was a young fellow, as I look at it now. He was only 34. And the Lord took him home quickly. But he'd come to Christ through missionaries, British missionaries, came to Argentina, brought the Bible, and my father, first my mother, she opened her heart to Christ. She used to play the organ at the Catholic Church at Mass. And she had a very tender heart towards God. But she could never figure out how to be sure that she had eternal life. And then this Britisher showed up. Everybody called him a missionary, but he actually worked for Shell Oil Company and paid for his own expenses. But he was a missionary because his whole life was dedicated to giving away New Testaments. And then he started a little chapel. And my mother was the first one to give her life to Christ. Then her mother, my grandma. And then one day, my dad never would go to the chapel. He wasn't anti. He just didn't go. But one day, my mom told me, I wasn't born yet. I was about to be born. He walked in and sat by my mom. And as this Englishman was explaining the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, my father interrupted the Englishman, and in a loud voice, he wasn't a loud man, but he said it in a loud voice, probably because he was nervous. But he said, I receive Jesus Christ right now as my Savior and my Lord. And he sat down. And my mom said she was so excited, she wanted to shout, but you're not supposed to uh, shout in a proper church like this one. So she didn't shout. But then on the other hand, she was so embarrassed because he interrupted this proper Britisher. Um, but you know, my dad's life was changed. And nine years later, the Lord decided to take him home. The doctors could do nothing for him. They sent him home. I was in a British boarding school. My grandma called me up and said, get home as quickly as you can. Your dad is very sick. And when I got there, he'd just gone to be with the Lord. And my mom told me how it happened. My dad sat up in bed, and he began to sing a song about heaven that we children used to sing in Sunday school, a Salvation Army song. And he sang it three times, and pointed if he was so tired and exhausted from the fever, his head fell on the pillow. My dad pointed up to heaven, and he said, I'm going to be with Jesus, which is better by far, quoting the Apostle Paul. And a few seconds later, my dad went to be with the Lord. And, you know, I was only 10, and I thought, man, that's the way to die. I mean, you know, you, you know where you're going, you're clapping your hands, you say, I'm going to heaven, and boom, you take off. And uh, it, it's the most glorious. That's the way I'd like to go, you know. And uh, not today, but I'm ready. <laughs> uh, I'm ready, yeah, I really am. It's just in no hurry. But, uh, uh, but really, it is beautiful to know that, you know, that you know Jesus Christ. And you have the assurance of eternal life. And therefore, as Ian said when we opened the service today, we Christians sing and praise God because think of it. 
If your past is all forgiven. In the present you're the temple of God. And he lives in you. And he says I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake. And then the future you're going to heaven. Don't you have a right to be a little happy? You know. I mean some people say well don't get too excited. Because it's a bad sign of instability. Hey listen. My sins are forgiven. I'm a child of God. I'm going to heaven. I'm a temple of God. He lives in me. He never leaves me. Let me be happy for goodness sakes. Now don't be too loud, but be happy, you know. And uh, rejoice in Jesus Christ. And don't cover it up. Let people see what assurance you have. Because it truly is staggering. And you know the amazing thing? It's all true. It's all real. But you know, you can know it intellectually. And approve it and say, this is fantastic, I love it, I'm all for it, I'm glad it's there. And yet never experience it for yourself. I have a friend of mine in the States. He is a very wealthy fellow. I only met him about four and a half years ago. We're having a festival. We call them festivals, not crusades anymore. Crusades can, you can lose your neck. And uh, so, and uh, so it's a festival now. But same thing, different name. And... uh, we were on the beach in Fort Lauderdale, Broward County. And his family and him, uh, the wealthiest family in town, they own a football team, American football called Miami Dolphins. And they did Blockbuster. You've got it here even. And uh, he's got golf courses in Ireland and, and all this stuff. And airplanes all over the place. And he's well known. But he was a bad, naughty boy. All the way as he was growing up from a wealthy home and did stuff. And everybody knew that he wasn't a good boy. And, uh, but he would go to church quite often in Fort Lauderdale. Well, I shouldn't have told you that. Okay, uh, because of a detail I wanted to add. But anyway, forget that. He went to church. And uh, one day he went to a meeting full of men. It was called, I think, Promise Keepers. And he loaned his stadium, which seats 60 or 70,000, so that they could gather all these men. And so he thought, well, if I let them have the stadium, I might as well show up. And he goes to the stadium, and as the speakers began to teach from the Bible, he suddenly began to feel a great sense of guilt, sinfulness, spiritual need, and God spoke to him, but he didn't make a commitment. And then two Sundays later, he said to two of his friends, he was married, had two children at that point, he said, come with me, I want to go to church. So he went to a church called Calvary Chapel in Fort Lauderdale, a big church. There's about 20,000 people show up. And he went and sat with his two friends. And as he heard the word of God, at the end of the message, the minister said, if any of you want to give your lives to Jesus Christ, this is the moment. Open your heart. Let him come into your life. And my friend, his name is Wayne Heisinger. He won't mind me telling you because he tells his own story. He said to his friends, come with me. I want to go and surrender to Christ. And he went forward. And the platform was somewhat like this, but just a little different. He went forward and he just forgot where he was or who was around him. He fell on his face, spread eagle on the ground, sobbing and asking Jesus Christ to come into his life. And he stayed there for several long minutes. And the minister came down and talked to him and gave him some Bible promises. And he got up. Totally convinced, I am forgiven, I'm a new man, I belong to Jesus Christ. And I've worked with him several times now. And he speaks to businessmen because they all respect him and know him. And he always says this phrase, I had a relationship with the church, but not with Jesus Christ. 
And you know, there's a lot of people in Western nations who have a relationship with the church, but never have a relationship personally with Jesus Christ. And if you're in that situation, you, perhaps you were brought up in this church or some other church, and intellectually you accept it, but you've never experienced a staggering change in your life, why not surrender to Him today? And if you say, well, how do you do that? Well, Jesus Christ tells us, I stand at your door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. He has done it all on the cross. He rose from the dead. He's alive. He's speaking to your heart. And if you haven't experienced that powerful touch of God, then open your heart and say, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life and change my life. I did it and I was only 12 years old. And it's glorious to know him. Stephen Baldwin, the actor, did it at age 36, 37. Staggering, visible change. Wayne Heisinger, my friend, enormous change. The county is so amazed at the change in his life and his outspokenness about Jesus Christ. But it happened at a moment when he opened his heart to Jesus Christ. So, before I turn the pulpit back, I'd like to help you Open your heart to Jesus Christ. If you've never surrendered to Him, if you've never opened your heart and said, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life, He is knocking at the door of your heart. He's calling you and saying, let me come in, let me come in. I know you. I love you. I want you. Come back to me and let's be reconciled. Be reborn. Be rescued by the death of my Son. So let's bow our heads in prayer, shall we? Let me lead you in a prayer. And if in your heart you say, I want to receive Jesus Christ. Or if you've drifted away from God. Maybe you were brought up in the things of God and you drifted away. And you say, I need to come home. I need to surrender. I need to let him take over in my life. Why not do it right now? And then you will experience What we just read, and some of us have known for quite a few years, if anyone is in Christ, you become a new person altogether. The old is past, the new has come. And these staggering things that we meditated about a few seconds ago will become a reality to you, and a beautiful experience that will change your life and bless your life forever and ever, even into eternity. So if you feel it in your heart and you truly want him to come into your life, pray this prayer in your heart to Jesus Christ. Let me guide you phrase by phrase. Oh God, my Father, you've spoken to my heart today. You created me in my mother's womb. You know me inside and out. This morning, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, I believe you died for me on that cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And I open my heart to you, Lord Jesus. Come into my life. Forgive me all my sins. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
And please give me the assurance of eternal life. I surrender to you, Lord Jesus. And I will serve you. And follow you. With all of my heart. Till I see you face to face in heaven. Thank you, Father. I'm yours forever. Because Christ lives in me. And I thank you in his holy name. Amen. Amen.